0: good morning. I was reminded this week that even in this year of 2020, we have so much to be thankful for. So, so very, very much. You know, our nightmare year here is, is honestly so much better than even a good year in so many other places on this earth these days. Yeah, we are facing division and there is stress and plague and, and political intrigue. And yet here we are freely worshiping the Lord without fear. And we have so much prosperity despite, you know, lockdowns and shutdowns and all. Yet, we have dry, warm homes to go to, don't we? And we have more food than really we should be eating in general. Um, and, and when you or I say that money is tight, what we're really talking about is that we can't have the things that we want, not that we're unable to get the things that we need to survive. The truth is is that we have so much prosperity that really that's a bigger problem for us than any kind of scarcity could ever be. Here's what I mean. For you and I, and I know this isn't true everyone and for every place and for everyone, but for us we're not starving physically. We're not suffering Uh, from material lack, but rather the real danger for us is spiritual malnourishment. And here's why. Put most simply, we tend to become so stinking preoccupied with the vast array of things that this world offers us to numb the longings that God put within us. You know, you and I, we long for peace and for contentment. And in response to that, this world floods us with the distractions of entertainment. And and we long desperately for meaning and for fulfillment. And in response to that, this world tempts us with the intoxication of living for self. And we long for joy for true pleasure and this world offers us the deceit of pleasing our flesh. But we were made for more than that. We were made for far more than what this world can offer us. But we will never experience the the richness, the fullness of what it is that we were made for unless we are able to let go of that which the world seeks to foist upon us. We've got to, to stop spending ourselves on, on the, the, the bait that this world offers us. Now, this isn't a new problem, is it? No. No. It's not unique to our day. As long as there have been people, uh, this struggle has been in play. So much so that, that it, it's the very thing that is addressed in our text for this morning in Luke chapter 10. Well, oh, we're picking off where we left off last week at the end of Luke chapter 10. So I'm going to invite you to do this grab your Bibles. Open them up to Luke chapter 10 and look at the very end of that chapter. When you find Luke 10, will you do this? Will you stand? I'll read our passage for this morning, but I invite you to follow along. We're going to pick up in verse 38. Verse 38, we'll read through the end of the chapter. I'll read, you follow along. It says, while they were traveling, he entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has made the right choice, and it will not be taken away from her. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and for this time that you've given us. Lord, I pray that we would be ready for this, that we would be ready to hear what it is that you have to say to us to receive it from you, and Lord, that by the work of your Holy Spirit, you would work within our hearts and our minds to transform us, to change us, God, because we are incapable of doing that ourselves. So we look to you to work during this time. Lord, I pray that each and every one of us would hear you speaking to us clearly, individually, specifically, in what you tell us in your word. We give you this time, Lord. We pray it all in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You can be seated. Several times recently, as we've been going through Luke chapter 10, I've reminded you that the context of what we're reading here in this portion of Luke's gospel includes the fact that here, very clearly, Jesus is focused on the fact that he is moving toward the cross. And when we talk about that, we don't simply mean that he is moving geographically closer and closer to the city of Jerusalem where it is that he will die on the cross. Actually, he will begin moving further from Jerusalem after what we read this morning but rather what what we mean is is that all that we read here is understood through the lens, through, through the fact that Jesus is every day coming closer and closer to the day that he will willingly and purposefully lay down his life on our behalf. If we remember that, it will help us to understand what it is that Jesus says and why it is that he takes the perspective that he takes because you see it is that event it is the cross it is that 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 seismic shift that is going to take place that is going to change everything and so Jesus Jesus responds differently because he understands that that event is about to take place. You know, you and I, we also have a coming change. There is also an event that that should be shaping what it is that we do while we're here upon this earth. And I'm not talking about uh, the next president or about COVID or any of that stuff out there. Jesus made a promise to his followers. Do you remember this? In, in, in John chapter 14, he said that he would come for us. That one day when the time was right, that he would come and take us to be with him. There in John 14, Jesus says to his disciples, in my father's house are many rooms. If not, I would have told you. I am going away to prepare a place for you. And if I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. You and I, we've got to let our lives be shaped by the fact that this world is not our home, that this is just a place that we are passing through. And that there is very soon an event that will take place, whether it be the rapture of the church or, or our passing from this life to the next, that there will be a transition that will change everything. We are not living just for this world, but we are living for eternity. And that should shape who we are and how we see this world in which we live. This world in which we live, it's a bit of a mess, isn't it? Uh, Things are getting kind of ugly out there. But you know what? Things have been ugly out there. They've been ugly for a long time. In fact, 2,000 years ago, Paul wrote to his disciple Timothy. And there in 2 Timothy chapter 3, listen to what Paul says uh, about the world in which we live because it describes our day perfectly. Paul tells Timothy, know this, hard times will come in the last days. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, demeaning. This isn't just politicians, by the way. This is the whole world. Disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to the form of godliness, but denying its power. And so Paul tells Timothy, avoid such people. You know, it's, as long as there has been people living in rebellion from God, that has been what this world has looked like. Paul said it clearly about the day in which he lived, but I would venture to say that it's even more true about the day in which we live, isn't it? This world has progressed and will continue to progress from bad to to worse you know we don't know when it is that jesus will come back but like no other time in history the stage is set for that to happen you know israel is back in the land uh, We've only been able to say that since 1948 and though that's before our day that may seem like a long time ago uh, on the on the scale of time since since Christ was here it, it was just yesterday that this took place and Israel is surrounded by enemies as scripture says she would be the whole geopolitical and financial and and religious and technological dynamics that we read about in the Old Testament prophets talking about the end times and about uh, that we read about in the book of Revelation, those dynamics are coming into frame in such a way that the things that we read about taking place there are, are not only possible in our day, but I would say that they are literally unavoidable. Christ will come and then when he does this world will see things far worse than anything that we've seen so far that should shape us this world is moving quickly towards its final chapters and and that should that should change us it, it should impact how we see things and it should change what we give ourselves to and what we invest ourselves in we don't know when but we do know this something far far better is coming our savior has promised that he is going to come and he is going to take us to be with him so that we might be with him for all of eternity that that's good isn't it that's very very good And the amazing thing is this. God has an early entry program he's running. You see, he is inviting us, even here and now, even today, in the midst of this very messed up world, he is inviting us to enter into his presence, to draw close to him, to know him, but if we're going to do that, then we've got to let go of all that this world presents to us in order to distract us from him. That's really what our passage is about this morning. Let's take a look at it. Uh, beginning there in verse 38, Luke writes that while they, that is Jesus and his, his group of followers, both the disciples and, and the larger group, as they were traveling, he entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. And so as Jesus and his followers are traveling from place to place, they make their way, though not directly, they're moving towards Jerusalem. It seems that they come to the village of Bethany now, just a few miles from Jerusalem. It's there that they are guests of Martha and of her sister Mary, and if this is, as is universally assumed, to be that same Martha and Mary, it is also the home of Lazarus, uh, that one who Jesus raised back to life after spending three days in the grave. And so in verse 39, we read that, that Martha had a sister named Mary who also sat at the Lord's feet and was listening to what he said. So it seems that there at that day as they gathered at Martha and Mary and Lazarus' house, the event of the day, the thing that they were doing was gathering close to Jesus, just listening to him teach, hearing what it is that, that he had to share with them. So his followers had gathered close around, Martha and Mary included in with them, And Jesus is talking. No doubt he is preparing them for what is coming. You see, Jesus, as we've said, is is very aware of the fact that very soon he will be going to the cross. And and though he will rise again, very soon after that he will ascend into heaven. And so He is daily seeking to prepare his disciples uh, for that new dynamic. He's trying to help them to understand who he is and why he came. And he's addressing how it is there to behave one toward another, loving each other like he has loved them. He's trying to help them come to a fuller understanding, the message that they're then supposed to go out and declare to the world all around them trying to help them come to terms with where it is that they're going to need to look for understanding understanding and instruction once he is gone he's got a lot to share with them and yet though jesus jesus certainly is focused upon all that he has to share with his followers one of them has become disinterested one of them has become distracted Martha has become restless. Verse 40, but Martha was distracted by her many tasks. She came up and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? So tell her to give me a hand. Notice first that Luke is very clear that the things Martha was so distracted by they were her many tasks. Jesus's focus was on on teaching his followers. He he knew that they didn't have much time left to get ready Time was short. He would soon be gone. They would have to carry on. He needed to prepare them. That was his agenda. But Martha had another agenda. She had her agenda, her tasks that she wanted to accomplish. Martha was distracted. She was distracted by the things that she felt that she needed to do. It wasn't anything that Jesus had asked of her. And don't misunderstand, it wasn't anything bad. Martha's not off on the side selling drugs or you know running a dog fighting ring or something. It seems that she was simply preparing a meal, a very large meal with lots of guests. She's serving Jesus and his followers. That's a beautiful thing, isn't it? It's a beautiful thing. But she seems to be doing this this very good thing with a rather stinky attitude. Specifically, she's upset that her sister Mary isn't helping her. And and as verse 39 has told us, Mary uh, was sitting at Jesus' feet, listening. And so Martha comes and asks Jesus to make her sister help. You know, the worst part is that in her irritation with her sister, well, Martha takes a shot at Jesus, doesn't she? Did you notice that? Uh, Look again at verse 40, look at what she says to Jesus. Martha says, Lord, don't you care? Now guys, if your wife looks at you and says, don't you care? That's not a question, (laughs) that is an accusation. You have already lost this argument. It's over. It's only, it's time for repentance. That's all, right? There's no defending that position. But Martha says that to Jesus. Before we're too hard on Martha, let's admit this. Most of us at one point or another, we've taken that same shot at the Lord when we've been in the midst of hard circumstances, haven't we? We're hurting, things are difficult. We've been praying and praying, but things, they haven't gone the way that we thought they should go. Don't we sometimes look at the Lord and ask that same accusation don't you care what I'm going through? I know I've done that. But I have to admit, it's not only arrogant, it's ir- it's it's ignorant. It's arrogant because what I'm basically saying to God when I say that is, listen, Lord, I know you're new at this. And I know you're trying your best, but if you'll just listen, maybe you should take notes. I, I, can, I can help you out here. Um, Cause I, I've, I've been living this life for a while and, and really I, I've, I know what needs to happen here. And God, just understand this. If you choose not to take my advice, you'll have to live with being wrong, right? Isn't that basically what we're saying to God? It's it's just basically us telling God that, hey, there's one of two things that could be happening here. No, not that I'm wrong. Either God, you're just not as smart as I am, or God, you're not as morally superior as I am. God, either you just don't know what to do or God, you don't care about doing what's right. I think we would do far, far better to remember the words of the prophet Isaiah through whom in Isaiah 55, God says, God speaks to us. He says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts and your ways are not my ways. This is the Lord's declaration. For as heaven is higher than earth so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. In other words, what God is saying is listen, I know everything and let's just be frank, you don't. God says listen, I understand how these things work and though i know that you don't understand what i'm doing right now you really need to you need to come to terms with the fact that i know what i'm doing you know it, it shouldn't surprise us that we don't understand god or that we don't understand what he does Here, here's reality if we fully understand god then he isn't God. He isn't beyond our understanding. If we fully understand God, what we have created is a figment of our imagination, this thing that that, that our minds can wrap around completely. It should not surprise us that there are times that we we don't know what he's doing. That we just don't understand. So it's arrogant for me to look at God and to think that I know better than him. But it's ignorant too. It's ignorant because God has a proven track record, doesn't he? And not only historically, but personally with each one of us, he has shown himself to be trustworthy. If I don't trust him, honestly, it just shows that I don't really know him. If if I don't trust him, then it it means that I haven't been exposed to his faithfulness. Remember where it is that Jesus is going. Remember what the end point of this journey is. He's moving towards the cross. He's moving towards that point in time when he will not just declare his love for us, but he will demonstrate it. It's easy to say, I love you, isn't it? It's much harder to live it. And here the Lord not only declares, but he demonstrates his love for us. As Paul puts it in Romans 5, God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How could I ever doubt the love, the trustworthiness of the one who went to the cross on my behalf, who took my sin, my guilt, my punishment and bore it in my place? if I know what Jesus has done, if I know him, then no matter the situation, even when I can't understand what, what it is that, that God is doing, I can know that he loves me and that in the end, he will set things right. Notice too here that Luke says that Martha was distracted. She's distracted. In other words, her focus was not where it should have been. Her eyes should have been on one thing, but instead they had settled on another. Her eyes should have been on Jesus, but instead they they had settled upon these, these things that she felt like she had to do. And that created a problem. Now, the problem wasn't the things that she was doing. Uh, Preparing food is not a bad thing to do. I think most of us who eat appreciate people who prepare food. The problem was that her service was drawing her away from her Savior. That's a problem. That's a problem. We can never let the way that we serve the Lord draw us away from the Lord. Because our walk with the Lord, our relationship with him will always be more important than what we can do for him. You know, food is a good thing, right? Thanksgiving week, we should all just, we should agree with that. And really good food, that's a really good thing. But you know, when time is short, when there's important work that has to be done, Uh, um, as necessary as food is, it becomes secondary. It becomes a functional need. Yes, I need calories. I need caloric intake so that my body can continue to function so that I can do the thing that I've set out to do. And in that moment, even a nasty, cruddy-tasting protein bar will work better than a full turkey dinner when time is short and when there's work to be done. And it seems that, that that's the gist of what Jesus is saying to Martha here. Look at verse 41, the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has made the right choice and it will not be taken from her. Now, the, the original language here it It kind of hints, it's a bit of a play on words, but it's almost like Jesus is talking menu with Martha. He's saying to Martha, listen, Martha, you're working so hard. You're worried and you're upset because you're striving to make this huge feast with all these different things. But really, we just need one thing. We just need something to eat. We don't need uh, this, this whole thing. We just need some sustenance. And Martha, what you need right now is the very thing that Mary has chosen. You see, Mary has chosen the best entree on the menu to sit at my feet. And that will not be taken from her. Now, Understand, what Jesus says here, he's not telling Martha that that food shouldn't be prepared. He isn't saying that, that his followers shouldn't serve each other. I mean, not long from now, in a very similar circumstance, Jesus will busy himself with washing his disciples' feet. He will take time to serve them. And it was Jesus himself who who told his followers in Mark 10 that whoever wants to become great among you must become your servant. He's not saying to Martha, listen, serving's out the window. You just need to commune with me. We're supposed to serve each other. But first and foremost, we need to be with Jesus. Do this. Think back with me in your mind to that day when Jesus first called his disciples to join him on this journey. There, in Mark chapter 3, we read that he appointed 12 whom he also named apostles. Uh, just before that, it tells him, it tells us that he gathered those whom he wanted to himself that he called them together and he had a purpose, he had a reason why it was that he was calling this group closer, why it was that he was appointing them as his disciples. And it says it right there, it says, to be with him. Jesus called these men first and primarily to be with him so that they then might be sent out by him. But first, they were to be with him primarily they were to be with him. Now, that's amazing, isn't it? Stop and think about that for a minute. I, I don't know what it's like for you guys, but there are times um, when I'm amazed that my wife wants to be around me. I know, for, you don't have to imagine much to figure that out, but, you know, it, it's just... There are times when you're just like, wow, that's, it's amazing that she puts up with me. And then there are those moments where you almost get the sense that she likes being around me. <laughs> that's crazy. It, it's inexplicable. At least if you look at me, it's inexplicable. And yet that's, that's the dynamic with you and the Lord. The Lord looks at you. And he desires that you will be with him. He's not just putting up with you because he made a commitment and, well, you know, you just, you got to tough it out. You know, things weren't like I thought they were going to be, but okay, I can make it. No, 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 that isn't the Lord's attitude towards us at all. He loves us and he desires to draw us close to himself. And that is not just a statement of truth about the church in general, but that is his desire for you individually, personally. He desires to draw you close. He wants you To be in his presence. In a drawing near to God, it's what we were made for. It's what he created us for. Jesus, in John chapter seven, Jesus stands up in the middle of this, this ceremony that's going on there in the, the square of the temple as the priests are pouring out water onto the pavement as, as a symbol of the fact that there was a promise that God had not yet kept and that was the pouring out of his spirit and Jesus cries out, he says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Everything that we long for can be met in Christ. We long for peace and contentment, don't we? We can find it in Christ. We long for meaning, and for fulfillment. We find that too, as we draw near to the Savior. We long for joy, for true pleasure, and that as well is found in the Savior. He longs for us to draw close to him. In fact, he is working to draw us close to him. That's why God's word says in James 4, 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. God will never get a restraining order against you. God will never try to, to lose you, to ditch you. But rather, as you draw near to him, his word promises that he will draw near to you. So how do we do that? How do we... Uh, do like Mary did, and sit at his feet and listen. How do we, how do we gain that that intimacy with the Lord? He's given us uh, several tools that we can use to to draw close to him. One of them is his Word. We can grab hold of his Word and and we can read it not like a, a spell book or or something like that, but we we'll really read it to understand, to read it like a love letter that is written so that you can understand the, the person who is expressing their love for you. To take his word and to spend time with it is to hear what it is that he would speak to you. And we can take time in prayer. Prayer kind of intimidates us, doesn't it? Oh man, I asked someone to pray in church and half of you would throttle me if I did that to you, wouldn't you? You'd be like, oh, I couldn't do that. I'd choke on every word. Oh, but prayer is this this time where we have the privilege of opening our hearts to the Lord and expressing our cares and our concerns and our burdens and our joys our hopes, our fears. Not only opening our hearts, but opening our ears to him as well. And allowing him to speak to us. To calm. To comfort. To answer. Maybe prayer is hard for you. You have a hard time finding the words to express your heart. Maybe you could Open up the Psalms. They're really, it's prayers. Allow God's word to give words to your heart. We can also draw near to the Lord in worship. It's, it's not the music. It's not being in the room where worship is occurring that does it. It's, it's actually entering in. See, there's a real difference between listening to worship or being present when worship takes place. There's a real difference between that dynamic and the dynamic of actually entering into worship, of actually beginning to, and not just sing songs that appear upon a screen. You know, Some days I think it'd be kind of fun if we just messed with the lyrics and make you sing all sorts of weird things. Because I feel like half the time we wouldn't even notice. We could change the lyrics to be about McDonald's. And people would just rah, 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 rah. It's so easy to slip into autopilot, isn't it? To just sing words without thinking of the meaning, without thinking of the fact that we are to be expressing them to one who is present here with us. It seems like uh, the church is divided between those who who engage their hearts but not their brains and those who engage their brains but not their hearts when it comes to worship. And really, what true worship is is when my brain is engaged, I am, I am thinking about what is being said and what being, is being said matters. And my heart as well is engaged because I am truly myself speaking this to the Lord who saved me. And it's when I begin to enter into that that I begin to draw close to him. You know, the fourth way that I think that we can draw close to the Lord is what I would call true fellowship. I don't mean just Christians hanging out doing stuff. but What I mean is one believer investing in and encouraging and building up another believer is 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 one believer praying for another believer one believer sharing the word with another believer just encouraging and challenging and walking alongside each other investing in the spiritual life of the other i think the reason that doesn't happen very much is it requires us to drop the facade It requires us to begin to be real, to be open. As scripture says, to confess our sin to each other and to allow others to walk with us. There's a vulnerability that has to be there in order for that fellowship to begin to be true and to begin to actually have an impact and to change us. And maybe as well, it would be good if we step back for a moment and we ask the Lord if there is anything that we have become worried and upset about that has become a barrier between him and us. If there is anything like Martha, whether it be an area of service or, or, or maybe it's, it's for us it's the concern of all that's going on out there, that's got us so wound up. It is so so spun up that we don't think of anything else. We can't let go of it long enough to draw close. Maybe there's some some task, some something that in your eyes, you see it as something that you're doing for the Lord, and yet it has become a burdensome thing. And something that is dividing you from His presence, And you invite Him to speak to you, to encourage you, to set you free, and to draw you close? Because that's His desire. That's His desire in all of this is to draw us to Himself. That is his desire in history. That is what he is moving toward in the, in the big picture. He is, he is moving all things to that place where one day he will return to draw us to himself. But his desire is that we wouldn't wait to then, but that we would allow him to draw us close to himself each day, even in the midst of this crazy world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We don't understand your love for us. God, I I pray that we could accept it as fact, as reality. But Lord, we don't understand it. You are so good, so gracious. Father, I pray That based upon the fact of your love for us, your desire to draw us close, that we would draw close to you. Lord, that we would be changed by that. That you would shape us, form us, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit and empower us. That we might be filled to overflowing with the joy, with the contentment, with the fulfillment of knowing you. Work in us, Lord. Draw us into your very presence. Lord, I pray even in this time that as we worship you, Lord, that we would truly enter in. We would be aware of your presence with us. Work in this time, Lord. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.